Hello, everybody. Hello, and a very, very warm welcome to you from wherever you are in the world and whatever time of day or night it is. So that's enough for me and Mark. Over to you for reclaiming your life. Thanks, Alison. Let's just sit for a few minutes uh, before we start, a few moments, and arrive here. And by sitting, uh, that includes standing if you wish, or lying down if, you, if you'd like to do that, just for these few moments of gathering ourselves. Noticing our feet on the floor, perhaps, if we're sitting. And if we're standing, or the contact with the mat or the bed if we're lying. And allowing ourselves as best we can to be open to whatever sensations we, we notice, moment by moment. And then opening to the whole body, sitting here, standing here, lying here. And then to be beginning to move and allowing your eyes to open if they've been closed, taking in the room and your surroundings again. Let's begin by looking at some of the questions and reflections that have come in over these past two weeks. The delights, the discoveries and the difficulties and what we can learn from them. First of all, the delights. It's clear that many of you are finding the practices really helpful. You used phrases such as kind curiosity, relaxing and liberating, feeling of peace, bathed in love, warmth and light. And what we can learn from these experiences is that sometimes whatever has been gripping us can loosen its grip. We realize that there was, must have been something in the mind that was stuck but the practice has revealed more space around it. We're not taking it so personally, perhaps. Tomorrow it might come back, but we've caught a glimpse of a different way of relating to the mind and body. And then second, some discoveries, such as noticing change, the coming and going of restlessness, for example, and a growing sense of more freedom and agency, somebody said. Sometimes there's a paradox that's almost too difficult to put into words. Someone who found their heart hurting, crying, quiet tears. This at first sight seems as if it's a real difficulty and then they add, it was so good to feel it properly. Someone else asked how long it takes to feel a benefit. They said, is the intention that over time with practice we may notice these reactions happening in everyday life and attend to these with awareness? Absolutely. Often we want mindfulness to give us an immediate sense of calm or freedom. It can happen, but one thing I've learned over the years is that immediate benefit doesn't happen all the time and may be elusive even when it does. New ways of being in the world need to be part of our meditation practice before they can show up in daily life. And when they show up, they often do so unexpectedly like when you suddenly find yourself feeling differently about someone who you usually find difficult. You didn't decide to do or feel anything different, it just happened. Well, yes, it just happened, but no, it, it didn't just happen because for the past few weeks you've been practicing, including how to deal with small examples of this sort of emotion. You've been bringing it to the laboratory of your daily practice and your practice has had an impact without you knowing it. 
And this was exactly one person's experience from the past couple of weeks. They said, I was skeptical at first of saying to myself, it's okay not to like this. And then I was surprised to see the effect of it. So we can learn from the delights and we can learn from these discoveries. What about difficulties? When nothing seems to be shifting or the meditations are hard to apply in daily life, can we learn anything from these situations? For example, somebody said at the moment they, they feel they could apply this approach in retrospect, but it's harder in the moment. Absolutely, isn't it? Another person had a similar question. If I'm caught in a conflict or disagreement, they said, is it possible to identify or label positive, negative, and say no action needed, all in the middle of the interaction? Or is it something that becomes more rapid with practice? Well, yes, you may find that becoming aware of feeling tone can happen in a split second once you've begun to practice it regularly in your practice. And this sometimes comes right in the middle of a conversation when you feel like arguing back, you find yourself, and perhaps even surprise yourself, more likely to notice the feeling tone and decide there and then to feel your feet on the floor or no action needed comes to your mind and heart, helping you take a pause and make a choice. And of course, you can still argue if you need to, but quite often you may find yourself waiting a while or that the words that come are softer, more conciliatory and the sense this is unpleasant and then it's okay and natural not to like it can happen spontaneously too sometimes. And by saying it's natural not to like it, there's a sense of common humanity, common biology actually, it's a relief to know you're normal. But there's another issue that comes up again and again. For some people who found it difficult, it's difficult because the meditation just seems to fly in the face of circumstances. Someone talked about having to take their child for medical tests and trying to say it's okay, but feeling that it's not okay. I'm very grateful to you for raising this because it, it does raise important issues. Because in the midst of being terrified about what's going to happen, or in the midst of arguments or disappointments, words like it's okay can seem totally misplaced. Now, up until now, the guidance has been to let go of these phrases if they're not helpful. But it's clear that in some cases, it'd be good to know when and where to use them. So I want to say, <clears throat> excuse me. So I want to say an extra word for those who still struggle with this. It's also useful for us all because it will happen to us all from time to time. It might be helpful to think of an analogy. Imagine you're hunting for a piece of string. You find the box where you keep these things, but when you open the box and tug at a piece, it's all tangled up with other bits of string. You pull it and it all comes out together, knotted up. What's more, you don't know which thread belongs to which. In the same way, when we're very upset, depressed or anxious, or in the midst of terrible circumstances, the mind tends to become tangled in this sort of way. And it makes it really hard to recognize these different threads, the different strands of our conscious experience from moment to moment. Because they're all tangled up, one thread, the thread of sensations, is tangled with other threads of thoughts, of images, of memories, of plans, of emotions. And then we've been asking ourselves to, to identify these different threads if we can, and then to go further and so, see how each is linked with a thread of feeling tone. That's a lot of threads. And under those circumstances, a phrase like it's okay or no action just seems inappropriate. It doesn't seem to help. And worse, if anything, it seems unkind. And this is because it was originally being directed towards just one of these threads, the feeling tone, the natural unpleasantness of what you're going through. The practice was aiming to cultivate a knowing deep in your heart that it's natural not to like unpleasant things. But when it's all tangled, it feels as if you're directing the words, it's okay, or no action needed, towards everything going on for you right now. All the other threads in the box too, 
the threads that are now spilling onto the floor, the worry of an in, ill child, the loneliness of being here in hospital, the helplessness of having this happening again, whatever this is. Sometimes we may have been able to see the threads emerging one by one have benefited from the clear seeing, but not now, not here. So if you ever feel this is true for you, then the guidance when you feel overwhelmed and all tangled up is to drop the need to look for the separate threads because it's too hard right now. Instead, if you can right there and then come back to your anchors, come back to your breath or your feet on the floor or the contact with what you're standing, sitting or lying on or to the hands or to sounds. And this is to stabilize the mind and body and is already an act of kindness and compassion as it means you've recognized that here is a human being that is in need right now, and it's you. Others may need you, but you need you as well. And if you don't want to put your, and if you, if you want to, to try putting your toe in the water of turning towards it's okay, then it really is just putting your toe in the water and doing it in your daily practice first and in small ways and reminding yourself that the intention is to know that it's natural not to like what you're going through. Acknowledging this is difficult, this is unpleasant. And in this way, bringing a glimmer of a sense of friendship to your suffering, of kindness to yourself and to what you're going through. So let's take a short breathing space before we move on to the theme for this week. So standing or sitting, whatever you feel you need to do. And the first step of the breathing space, making this deliberate change in your posture so that you can acknowledge the waking up to what's going on inside you in mind and body right now. And then at a certain point, letting that fade into the background and gathering your attention for step two, narrowing the focus of your attention on a place of anchor for you now. Grounding. And then taking step three and expanding the focus of your awareness to the whole body sitting here. As if the whole body was breathing right now. And then beginning to move, allowing your eyes open if they've been closed, taking in your surroundings again. So the theme for this week is reclaiming your life. How we can transfer our new learning into the warp and weft of everyday life. In week six, we practice turning towards difficult emotions, those specific situations that are painful and that we normally avoid. But there's another type of avoidance that is very common when we're stressed or depressed or exhausted. And it's more a general withdrawal from the world. 
It happens when many of the things that you used to enjoy stop being enjoyable. So you give them up. And at the same time, many routine things get left undone. As one person said, it's like someone turns your motivation switch off. Although this pattern often comes when you're depressed, it may feel familiar to many of us. That's because the same dampening of motivation happens much more commonly than we think, and certainly whenever we are driven and over busy. Here's how. The mind has a natural and well-tuned mechanism for helping you focus on tasks and projects you're trying to achieve. It simply damps down the attractiveness of alternative activities. The result is that when you're working hard and really focused, you become less interested in doing other things. Hobbies may stop feeling rewarding, other businesses left undone. And here's the thing, the more enjoyable the hobby used to be, and the more pressing the other business you have to abandon to get the project done, the more they need to be suppressed to allow you to focus. This can be a bit of a battle at first, but if the project wins, the dampening allows you to get on with it without distraction. The mind has done its job. But when the project is finished, the things you have successfully suppressed don't seem so easily to revive. The suppression has overdone its work, and even after the stress has gone, it's hard to get the zest back into life, or because the mind inhibits some actions in order to allow others to get a priority. But it doesn't need to be a big project for this process to be activated. Just getting through everyday life can produce a similar effect. Everyday activities often need this sort of juggling, and so in everyday life, we can see examples of where the natural ability of the mind to suppress one thing while we get on with another can affect us. And probably the most common example is what we call procrastination, putting off what needs to be done. Procrastination is waiting for the right time or the right frame of mind for a task and then making the painful discovery that often the right time doesn't come. It's very common. Most of us do a little bit of it pretty much all the time. For some of us, it can be quite an issue. So let's look at that for a moment. Think about the following questions. Do you find that you overestimate how much time you've left to perform a task? Do you find that you overestimate how much time you have left to perform a task? Do you assume that you need to be in the right frame of mind or the right mood to work on a project? Do you believe you work better under pressure so it's best to leave everything till the last minute? Do you often think that you'll be more motivated in the future to do things so you can leave it for now? If you found yourself saying yes to most of these, research has found that procrastination visits your life more often than you'd like. But here are some good news. Procrastination can be a good teacher. So when it comes, we might welcome it into our practice. This is a new piece of gymnasium equipment. So we can take a close look at it to learn the subtle ways the mind is working and how it links with feeling tone and the other practices. So for example, we may discover that this pushing away means that the ignored activities shift towards the more unpleasant end of the feeling tone spectrum. Research has found that the very act of pushing away things increases unpleasant tonality. The task hasn't changed at all in itself but it has acquired an unpleasant taste. And the longer we put it off, the worse the taste becomes because we've pushed it away more often. Each pushing away reduces pleasantness and ratchets up the unpleasantness. And this happens through no fault of our own, nor the fault of the poor task. That's still the same task as it was last week or last month. But in our mind, 
it's more negative and it's harder to do. So can you think of a task like that? Something that you've been putting off and now seems bigger or more difficult? And if so, we'll open the chat for a couple of minutes and feel free if you want to, to put in the chat an example of a task like that. It doesn't have to be a current task, it might be something you remember putting off for a long time. Cleaning the bathroom, tax return. We might see a lot of tax returns. Finishing a report, oh yeah. Closing off a work project, washing the kitchen floor, working on your website, accounts, writing a letter, decluttering, launching website, checking my will, retirement, putting up some shelves, retirement's a big one. Um, yeah, housework, making an application, letter writing. Oh, that's just reminded me of something. Absolutely, thank you for that. Paperwork, yeah, demothing, ironing giving stuff to charity, housework, painting, planting new plants. I nearly thought that said painting new plants, but still. Gardening, decluttering, <laughs> financial planning, tidying, decorating, everything mundane in the house, absolutely everything mundane. You push it away and it increases in its apparent negative feeling tone. Cleaning the rabbit hutch, mileage claims, uh-huh following my marketing plan. You notice how these, you know, you assume that at some time they're gonna get above the threshold for action and it doesn't happen. We then, we wait for it to get above a threshold and somehow it never quite makes it above the threshold. Walking and hiking, making a website. Thank you so much. We'll close the chat in a few seconds. Answering messages, piano practice, emptying a storage locker, getting fit, losing weight, tax return UK and clearing the kitchen before painting, doing mindfulness exercises, absolutely, getting to bed, making arrangements to meet friends away. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Procrastination is very common. So there's no need to worry if it happens to you, but if it starts to bother you, remember you can intentionally bring it into the laboratory of your practice. Maybe we could try this now for two minutes, just a touch in. Um, so if just staying as you are and focusing on your anchors for a, for a few moments, sitting there just as you are, maybe closing your eyes if you want to, and then maybe choose one small thing you've been putting off. Or you might have been reminded by other things you've seen in the list. And then bringing it to mind, and rather like we did in week six, letting it remain here for a while on the workbench of the mind and seeing if, as it lies there, you can register the tonality. Pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. See if you can be open about this. You might assume it's unpleasant and it might be. And if it is unpleasant, allowing it as best you can. If you choose saying, it's natural not to like this. It's okay not to like this. Okay. Now we'll just open the chat again for one minute and just any experiences you had in that tiny, tiny, tiny touching in with holding the thing you've been putting off in a gentle awareness for just those few seconds. So we'll open the chat. Somebody says it's less bad. You thought it would be surprised to find it neutral. Found many excuses. That's a lovely comment. It's not that important. Wow. It's not that unpleasant, actually. I thought it was a practical task, but it turned out to be something else. Mostly unpleasant. Unpleasant, yeah. Both pleasant and unpleasant. It's okay not to like it. Not an urgent thing. Okay, that's very helpful. Thought of the benefits. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? What's really revealing about your comments is the sort of surprising things, like the, the discoveries that when when we turn towards it, at least in our practice, we may discover 
new things. Sometimes it does create anxiety. Sometimes it says it's not going anywhere, as one of you said. Um, sometimes it's a lifting of the weight. So we'll close the chat in about 20 seconds. Thank you. Actual task felt pleasant, but the thought of finding time triggered avoidance, unpleasantness and avoidance. So that's really nice because do you see the shifting sands, the different little threads, if you can catch them and how even in those different threads, you might be able to catch, ah, the avoidance, is that pleasant or unpleasant? And then perhaps a thought, is that pleasant or unpleasant? And then something else. So one can begin to just bring it all, cradling it in awareness and see whether you can bring some kindness to yourself. In this way, we can use the feeling tone practice to help sense the unpleasantness or whatever it is clearly. And even this acknowledgement can give you more space and more kindness towards yourself. And then without pushing yourself, just see what happens. I'm not at this point gonna say, right, tomorrow, get that done. It's a sense of just bring it into the practice if you wish, no pushing, see what happens. We're going to be talking later about taking action in a general sense, but not necessarily about what you're putting off. And before we go to our longer meditation, a final word about how this applies when we get really tired and quite depressed. When this happens, we can become very preoccupied with sorting ourselves out. It's as if we've got a huge project to complete when you're depressed the mind's dampening processes kicks in and then is all pervasive. It damps everything else. The result is the world looks totally gray and meaningless and even small things seem a hundred times more difficult to do. And it gets into your soul somehow because as we saw in week five, action is the fundamental particle of consciousness. The mind uses imagined action to predict what's going to happen next and even to understand what we're hearing or reading. So anything that affects action affects the very nucleus of our moment by moment experience, like a virus getting into a cell. It is as if our whole being were being attacked from the inside out. Things seem meaningless because one of the core components that energizes and gives color to meaning, imagined action, has been weakened. So in our practice this week, <clears throat> excuse me, in our practice this week, we begin to explore everyday activities to see what lifts you and what weighs you down. Mindfulness teacher Sarah Silverton likens this to a hot air balloon and we'll be reflecting on the past 24 hours and we'll bring to mind what we have appreciated most, what's nourished and lifted us like that balloon, and then what we have appreciated least, what has depleted us and weighed us down. And then if we choose, we can make a simple plan to explore how to increase things we appreciate most and deal skillfully with what we appreciated least. And if we do decide to try an activity to nourish or lift our spirits or to deal more skillfully with what depletes us, we do it not because we feel like doing it, but just as an experiment. But we take it slowly. It's really easy to slip into boom and bust when you've got a little bit of energy, but you end up doing too much. It's best to use the body budget wisely, to do things for a few minutes to begin with, and then stopping, even if you feel like carrying on, so you have some energy to spare. And little by little, you may begin to have small insights about how to reclaim your life, and small pockets of energy may arise unexpectedly that allow you to restore the balance of activities you'd like to have. Reclaiming your life means both finding your way back to what might have been lost, pleasure you'd, you'd forgotten, but it might equally mean letting go of what once was nourishing for you in order to sense more clearly what nourishes you now, not as you once were, but as you are today. But to allow this to happen, we need to explore activities as an everyday reflection and bring the new learning we've been doing into the heart of this everyday practice. So let's uh, do a practice that you could use as an everyday, perhaps end of day practice uh, for the next few days. We're coming to sit or stand or lie if you prefer.
spending a few moments now choosing your anchor for this practice. And whatever place you choose, whether it sounds on the outside or the feet, contact with seat or hands or breath. Opening to what sensations are already here when your attention settles here. Then at a certain point, if you choose expanding your attention to the body as a whole, sitting, lying, standing, all the sensations from the crown of the head to the bottom of the feet and right out to the surface of the skin. As best you can, allowing them to be just as they are. And then as you practice here with the body in the background, bringing to mind the events of your day, if it's the end of the day for you, bringing to mind what you've been doing today. Whatever time it is, it might be easiest to bring to mind what you were doing yesterday or over the last 24 hours, just making a choice. people that you met, if you met anyone, or any journeys you made, or if you stayed home, what activities you were engaged in. And then as these activities come into your mind, if they, if they do, seeing whether it's possible to notice what you appreciated most over this period. What did you appreciate most? There may be several things or just one. It's not a competition, just gently noticing what comes to your mind when you think, what did I appreciate? Maybe really simple things, a simple thing. And then if it's possible, asking a question of yourself. Would it be possible over the next day or the day after that to make time for this sort of nourishing activity to be even more present to me? 
How would I go about that if it were possible? How could I arrange my life so that this sort of nourishing activity was present more often, more available? And if nothing comes to mind, don't worry. You could always frame the intention of reflecting on this at some other time. Even just letting the question lie can change things. Coming now back to your anchor. And now, while you were going through your day and the activities of the last day or 24 hours, you might have noticed some things that you appreciated less well. And see if it's possible to identify what you appreciated least about this period, about today or the last 24 hours. What did you appreciate least? And if something comes to mind, asking yourself, is there any way I can come up with that would allow me to deal with this sort of situation more skillfully if it happens again in the next day or two? And once again, if nothing comes to mind, that's no, that's no worries. Again, you might want to think of it at some other time, but even just allowing the question to be here and held can sometimes begin to shift something. And returning to your anchor, And in the last few moments of the practice, if you choose, you can bring to mind one of the things you appreciated. Something that perhaps brings a smile to your face, something over the past 24 hours or the day, something you appreciated, something that nourished you. And by doing this end of day reflection, each day for the next few days, you may find yourself beginning to become more aware of the opportunities to appreciate and nourish yourself during the day. And new and sometimes unexpected ways of dealing skillfully with things that deplete you, that you don't appreciate. And so now beginning to move, allowing your eyes to open if they've been closed and taking in your surroundings once again. Thank you. I'm now going to hand back to Alison who will be um, convening the questions and the session for the next few minutes. Okay, thank you very, very much, Mark. And I'm, uh, I'm just looking at the questions here. And um, <laughs> I don't know if you've been in a restaurant when there are so many delicious things on the menu, you don't know which to choose. And um, 
I feel a bit like that. There's some wonderful questions here. Just a couple um, to say there are people who are saying they are enjoying these sessions so much. Please, 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 can you carry on? <laughs> I thought you'd like to know that. Yeah. And also some questions uh, asking for references. Yeah. And uh, I believe you're going to give us a full reference list next week, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. So looking at the questions, I'm going to start with a couple. One is about how to practice appreciative joy mm -hmm. when you're facing contradicting situations. And the example given is coming across news of starving people while you're eating. That's quite a question, isn't it? One of the things that it, it's not really an answer, it's really a reflection, is that that's one example of the sheer messiness of life and how we talk today about everything being tangled. And sometimes there are tangles that actually are endemic um, to the way we live our lives. And that some of these strands, like the new strand about uh, people starving or war-torn parts of the world and the fact that we are um, able in some parts of these world to be very safe is seems like a, a major contradiction in terms and one of the one of the questions I think that we can ponder is how do we nourish ourselves sufficiently that we'll be able to respond wisely and actively to the state of the world um, and that's a really hard question, how to respond, how to give um, effectively and efficiently, which campaign to support, where to put your resources. You can go to the effective giving site, for example, and there's lots of people talking about what's the most effective way to give um, that does the best good for any means that you have. And, um, and one of the things I think we have to be careful of is that we suspend the nourishing including things like appreciative joy um, because we feel that things are so serious we'd better not do it um, because it's so contradictory and and yet if that uh, is in our practice if that's what we need to do to give us the energy to give us the wisdom to give us the the fighting spirit then but ultimately is going to be a way of helping. And ultimately we do probably have to find a way of helping in the best way possible through whichever, whichever way you get in, whether you get involved with politics, whether you get involved in campaigns, um, then uh, this is an important thing to do. And where are you gonna get the energy from that? It's from not neglecting the self that you're going to bring to that. But that's not to say that there won't be these moments of extreme conflict and extreme tension. Oh, that's a, an incredibly helpful answer, Mark. Thank you. I found that helpful. And I'm sure many, many, many other people did too. Um, there's another question here, a slightly different kind of question. And this is coming back to, is it the mind that experiences feeling tone or is it something that's characteristic of the sensation or experience itself rather than the mind that's encountering the experience? Mm. It's really, and there's another part to the question. Is there also a bigger awareness or mind that holds everything equally and doesn't react at all? Oh, okay. Well, I think it's very difficult to think about um, structures of the mind. So no. we use these spatial metaphors, don't we, about big mind and holding yeah. everything and so on. And they're still up to a point, 
long as we realize they're metaphors. Um, the issue about where do we register feeling tone is um, intriguing, but funnily enough, it's not necessary to know this. In other words, we don't actually know. It's just a sense in a sort of body-mind complex, as you wish, as you will. And we've come back to this a couple of times about how do you know, um, you know, that the screech on a blackboard, on a chalkboard, when a teacher misses their chalk, um, how do you know that that's an evil sound, a horrible sound, um, and it's unpleasant? Why do we think that? And in a sense, we don't, I mean, in the old traditions, they talked about the taste of things in order to give that sense of immediacy. It's immediacy. And talking with um, a meditation teacher the other day, they said, if you've got to go hunting for it, then it's, you've lost it, <laughs> you know, because the hunt in a sense isn't necessary because it'll be immediate to you. So if you find yourself going, I'm not, what's that? We'll say, I need to label it. Just let it go and wait for another one to turn up. And because it's, there's a, an immediacy to it, which is a sort of like a body mind reaction. So, yes, that thing of immediacy. So there are a couple more uh, shorter questions here, Mark. What about the things that deplete you that you can't give up? Uh, well, then you mean you can't, like, I don't know, doing the washing up or something or... Um, yeah, well, you or, know, the things you, know, you have to, you can't not do. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a common question. And of course, much of what we do takes energy and it can be depleting. And the fact that we have to do some activities that are taking care of business. I saw people mentioning tax returns. I haven't yet met a person who loved doing tax returns, um, their own tax returns anyway. And lots of things in the list were really very punchy because they were a list of things that actually are necessary things that um, are taking care of business in life. So, um, how to deal with them. I think a little bit at a time, it depends how, if you're very low and you're in low in mood, then certainly take a little bit of a time at a time with these things. That's usually, and do it as an experiment. Don't wait for the motivation to come, do it for two minutes and see uh, how you feel, then move away. And just because taking care of business can give rise if, if you don't get them done to a sort of learned helplessness about it. And to do that, is not about doing pleasurable things because that doesn't give you a sense of control over your life. But if you just, you know, tidy up one corner of your desk just for two minutes, then something is different at the end of that two minutes than it was the case two minutes before. And that can give your mind body a sense of, oh, there's a difference. I'm making a difference no matter how small. Um, I think the other thing that people have found, and I'm reliant on other people telling me how they get on with this practice, is making time for activity. So sometimes when you're on holiday, loading the dishwasher doesn't seem as, as depleting as it does when you're rushing to do the thing or hanging out the washing on the line or, you know. So if you've got something that's gonna take 10 minutes, then allocate quarter an hour to it. That goes for your meditation too. Somebody mentioned meditation was depleting or was, was, was something they procrastinated about. If you've got, quarter an hour, then do 10 minutes meditation. If you want to do a quarter an hour meditation, then set aside 20 minutes. So there's not a rushing in, a meditating, 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 and then rushing out again. So give it the space it needs, set yourself up. And if what you've got left is only two minutes, that's two precious minutes, and then move out again. So see if you can enclose tasks that are naturally depleting in a little more space. Lovely, thank you again for that, Mark. And um, yes, there's a, a question about what's the difference between uh, not appreciating something and disliking something? I think it's not, I think it's it's the same thing, actually. Now, not appreciating might be, might I, the idea might be neutral. It's just non-appreciating and Certainly, again, if your mood is flat or is, is, is getting flat, often you don't get something very negative. You don't get something very positive. It's a sort of a flat 
It's, it's what the psychologists used to call loss of reinforcer effectiveness. And what they meant by that was both negative things and positive things and punishing things just left you feeling cold. And that, that can sometimes happen. But I think it's a spectrum. Um, somebody said last time, you know, this labeling and putting in baskets, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. But actually, um, what we've been trying to say, it's like, it's like a dial moving from red to green uh, through the neutral zone. Um, and it's something that's gonna be more unpleasant, uh, less pleasant and so on. And I think that's the way I personally find it helpful to think of it. And then um, appreciation is a way of um, asking ourselves moment by moment, is this something that is that's able to make contact with me that I appreciate? And it conveys the idea that I haven't had to do anything about it, you know? I haven't had to create this. It's more a sense of receiving a gift. That, that's, what appreciate, uh, um, that's what appreciation means to me. And it'll mean different things to different people, I guess. And of course, in different languages, it'll have a slightly different nuance, but that's the way I see it. That, that's a really beautiful way to put it, I was reminded once of the root meaning of appreciation is price, the value you put on something. So mm. the sense of receiving a gift mm. is a really lovely way to put it. Thank you. Um, sadly, very sadly, we are coming towards the end of this session, Mark. So as usual, the question is, do we have any home practice that you would recommend for the coming week? I really like it if people are able to, to do that end of day practice, just to allow the sense of um, what have you appreciated most? What have you appreciated least? To be in your mind and let it not be a battle, just, just gently yeah. do it, maybe five, 10 minutes and you know, start by grounding yourself and then um, whole body and then appreciate it most, appreciate it least, maybe finishing with what you appreciated, one of the things you appreciated. But then the sense of how might I increase the availability of the, what I appreciate and how I, I deal skillfully with these things that I don't appreciate very much or that deplete me. And then if you wish at another time of day, use any of the meditations you've practiced over the weeks of the course, choose one to explore and just do it for 10 minutes if you wish. Um, anyone from founding, finding your ground, taking a pause, one of the feeling tone meditations, Anyone, you, either you want to revisit because you enjoyed it, or you want to revisit because you want to explore it further. And I wish you all the well, all, all well with that. Yeah, and, and thank you, Mark. And just a reminder that all of these are on the, on the OMC web, website as podcasts. Um, sadly, uh, it, I need to say now that, of course, next week is the final session with Mark. Um, it's a bit of a cliffhanger, isn't it? The cliffhanger is, oh gosh, how's, how's the course going to end? What's he gonna, what's he gonna do next week? But also a cliffhanger as to what's coming next. And uh, with all any cliffhanger, you'll find out next week. So I do hope you can join us next week. And um, yeah, so I think we now have time just to thank Mark very, very much indeed, once again, for a deeply informative and valuable session and time to uh, say goodbye in the chat, uh, perhaps in your own language. Mm. So thank you very much and see you next week. Thanks to everybody. And thanks for all the comments and sharing experiences. It's really helpful. <laughs>